Welcome to Mutiny Community, the officially unofficial podcast for Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Eric. And tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 8, You Are Not Safe, Eric. <laughs> you are nowhere near safe. Yeah, uh, uh, you know what's not safe is uh, your assertion last week that last week's episode was the best episode of the series. <laughs> so I guess you like this one, huh? I uh, think so, my friend. I think that this felt like a, like a series finale to me. Like, yeah, I don't know where they're going to go did. from here. No, it's great. Um, I-, I love this episode, too. It just, so many big things happened. Mm-hmm. And then the suicide note at the end was, like, very interesting and ominous and relevant mm-hmm. and... Yeah. I mean, like... And I prescient. Don't, I, yeah, exactly. It was really crushing. And, like, I love that they didn't try to fake us out. Like, yeah, dude, Ryan jumped. Like, right. uh, and the whole episode takes place over four months and, mm-hmm. you know, Cameron's moving to Japan and the IPO has been launched and, and jo- kind Joe's of failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely failed. And Joe's sorry. There's a lot uh-huh. of growth here, man. There is so much that changed from the first to the last. And God damn it. I love that scene at the end of Joe standing uh, for the Golden Gate Bridge at the location where Ryan first tracked him down while he was surfing. Yeah. And the callback to him, you know, standing there and, and looking out over the ocean, remembering his fallen friend who basically died because Joe McMillan is Joe McMillan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, y- you can see that even Joe's getting sick of Joe at this point, right? Yeah, but like this he's, is the, he's trying to change because he doesn't like who he was. This is the crazy thing, though, is that he can't change because he's already mm-hmm. he's he already has such a legacy that he can't outrun his legacy. Yeah, and so he's trying to come to grips with the fact that even though he can change, his ripples have gone out so far that he no longer has control over them. It's, yeah, it's and strong and it's devastating poignant. people. Yeah. I agree. Um, so we got a lot to talk about in this episode, but before we do that, we got to talk about Tandy Shandies. All right. I've got a, an okay one here. This is mm-hmm. not bad. Uh, I've started off with uh, what I consider my new kind of base for the Tandy Shandy, which is the vanilla Coke. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a dark beer kind of guy. When I go for beer, I go for dark stuff. Yep. Uh, those tend to pair pretty well with vanilla. Uh, yeah. This time, I switched it up a little bit, and I went with a Leinenkugel Berry Weiss, which is is like a raspberry flavor, and it's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Is so it a lambic? I'm, I'm having a good time. Uh, I I don't know what that means. <laughs> It's it's like a berry beer. That's that's interesting. You know, great minds think alike, my friend, because I decided to crack the vanilla Coke as well this week. Oh. Um, I do feel like Coca-Cola is probably the best soft drink at this point to pair with beer mm-hmm. because it does have that crisp flavor, uh, but it's not too sweet. It doesn't have, like, overwhelming sweetness like a 7-Up or even a Mountain Dew. Or a Pepsi, um, yeah. But I've, I've decided to try the vanilla Coke this week, and I'm pairing it with a beer that I feel like you would be a big fan of. Hmm. This is the Slayer 
Imperial Pumpkin Ale from <laughs> Ninkasi Brewing Company. It's a Imperial Dark Double Alt Ale with pumpkin and brown sugar. So I think Ooh. it pairs, you know, it's it's got that smooth finish, which pairs amazingly, amazingly with the vanilla Coke. So, best episode of the season? Best <laughs> handy shandy of the season so far. Wow. Run a roll. Best podcast yeah, of the roll. season? Huh? Mm, jury's out. <laughs> okay. Jury's out. Jury's out. I mean, don't don't <laughs> don't take that leap. All wah, right. Wah. Yeah. Bad. Oh, too soon. <laughs> too soon, Eric. I'm still grieving for poor Ryan. I really am. I know, man. It's crazy. This is such an amazing episode. And like the ending it hit me like this is the most emotional that I have ever been watching an episode of Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I actually thought that speech was the perfect capper, um, both to Ryan's life and also the episode. Yeah, I mean, they really uh, they they done a good one here. I mean, remember back in like episode five when we were like, I don't know where they're going to go with this, dude. Like, I don't know. This show this might be jumping the shark. We were totally wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of Bald Move, but it always drives me crazy when you guys are like, I don't know if Vince Gilligan knows what he's doing here. <laughs> I'm like, eh, guys, why, why don't you let Vince Gilligan do his thing? Because he's kind of a proven man. And I feel like Halt and Catch Fire has now earned that earned that honor as well. Never doubt the Halt right. and Catch Fire. Well, everybody's hit and miss, you know? I mean, even the <laughs> superstars will miss once in a while. You guys are way more skeptical than I am, and that's why I love you so much. Yeah, we are. I'm a passionate man. You know, I'm I was a little skeptical when, when they opened the episode with uh, December 19th, 1986, in a very, very short scene. Mm-hmm. And then kind of jumped back four months. So I was like, okay, where are they going with this? Is it going to be, yeah. you know, as the episode started to unfold, I'm questioning, okay, is Ryan going to be on the run for all that time? Which I guess he turned out to be. Um, yep. w- what is going to be the significance of all this time having passed? And it kind of, uh, it was mostly tied up with Ryan and with Donna. Um, yeah. And I guess Donna indirectly through like mutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those were, I guess enough to hang those four months on because I mean, really the Gordon and Joe stuff didn't move. Um, they, they were gonna get into this business, but then they couldn't cause Ryan was out. But, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't, it didn't do much for me on the business front with Gordon and Joe. Right. Yeah. But ev- everything else in that four months I felt was really solid. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Like, uh, in a, in in some way, I wonder if Cameron feels pseudo responsible for Ryan's death, because I know hmm. Joe does. I know right. Joe feels completely responsible, but Cameron went down, tracked down Ryan, and sent him to Joe. Mm-hmm. So her whole plot too, with uh, the Japan packing up and going to Japan, and uh, and also tracking down Ryan was really interesting. And there's there was a lot of uh, kind of dark symbolism throughout this episode. You know, it's called what, what's the name of the episode? It's like you are not safe. Yeah. And you know, it's it takes place around Halloween. There's a hornet's nest that's at Cameron's house. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like she's watching the there Evil Dead. Be, there's got to be a moth infestation too, right? 
a moth infestation? Yeah, I mean, her clothes what? are basically f- Swiss cheese at this point. Yeah, I know. It's a little, <laughs> you know. She needs some new shirts. That's all I'm saying. She needs some new shirts. I did think it was interesting, though, with her in this episode. I feel like she has gotten some – she's wised up a little bit. And okay. she she and Joe are so intrinsically linked, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning of this episode, when Donna is going through her pitch and, you know, uh, Diane chimes in. So Cameron House, she was the founder of the company. She's no longer here. What happened? And, you know, Donna gives this very uh, diplomatic answer. And the boss just doesn't buy it. <laughs> doesn't pass a sniff test. <laughs> and so uh, Donna says, what am I supposed to say? She's a temperamental narcissist with self-destructive tendencies who doesn't work with others. Mm-hmm. And part of me feels like I, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but part of me feels like th- that was a line from a different episode referring to Joe because it's basically Joe. OK, um, it's yeah. it's pre Zen Joe. It's pre linen pant Joe. Mm-hmm. But the temperamental narcissist with self-destructive tendencies who doesn't work with others, that is Joe to a T and it's also Cameron to a T and then the way that Cameron is really matured up and when Joe shows up at her door she isn't rattled she kind of owns the situation mm-hmm. in many ways um and you know he makes the connection hey we're both you know ousted C- CEOs <laughs> uh oh, yeah. both CEO ex CEOs who've been ousted by our board and all of this stuff and now they're kind of intrinsically connected by Ryan's death as well mm-hmm. so that connection keeps on happening and i do i am really really interested in Cameron moving to Japan um, yeah so we were predicting you know that this marriage to Tom is not going to last very long it did, did not seem like a good idea even at the time uh do you think Cameron is growing fast enough to keep this this relationship alive with with a move to Japan? Well, it's I think that it's a strengthening thing, but Cameron's also running in some ways, um, right? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, she was ousted from her company, and she was validated. Oh mm-hmm. God, she was validated. I mean, yeah, when. Diana's sitting next to that laptop and she's like, you know, it could be a number of factors. Uh, You know, the market could be soft right now. There's the Commodore thing that she Mm -hmm. brings up. Remember that little Commodore thing that Cameron was like, we got to get multi-platform before we go public? Yeah. Like, Cameron was right. They needed to strengthen the base of Mutiny before they went public and they had a flop of an IPO. Because they didn't listen to her. So not only was she ousted, but she was also validated. Yeah, and I I think all of that is going through Donna's head when she sees this stock price, right? As soon as Diane leaves, uh, mm-hmm. she she can barely breathe in that moment. Because not only has she failed yeah. the company, but she has destroyed the relationship with Cameron that I think she valued. So it, yeah. it's, it's this double whammy on her, and it's just devastating. And I... Uh, I think Carrie Carrie Bichet, is that how you say it? I think so. Bichet? Bichet? I don't know. Uh, she does a hell of a job in that scene. Uh, hmm. I, I don't know if I breathed watching her. <laughs> I had I very think, little sympathy for her in that scene. I, you, I, I was not I was not plus. No, I, it, it's not really sympathy. It's more just like mm-hmm. I'm putting myself in her shoes. 
yeah. she's she's just destroyed a friendship that has been years in the making and has been one of the most uh, I, rewarding in some ways relationships she's ever had. Mm-hmm. And she her company is a flop. Well, holy shit, yeah. you've just essentially blown up half your life right there. <laughs> yeah. My wife was casually watching this show with me, and she hasn't watched the whole full season, but she does tune in from time to time. And she's got great. She's got opinions on the characters, and so Donna's like getting ready for the IPO, and my wife is like, "Oh man, I really like Donna." And I was like, "You know, I've actually lost a lot of respect for her in the last couple episodes." <laughs> yeah, that's and, fair. Uh, and she was like, "Really?" Because I mean, Donna has always been like the the universally liked character on this show, mm-hmm. and I just love that now we got layers, we got depth, we got growth, all. Of, all of the things that you want in an episode uh, are in this episode. And really, we have two episodes left. This is crazy to me. Like, what are, yeah. what else are they going to do? I, what else can they do to top this? I mean, yeah, I, I could see if it was episode nine and they had just pulled mm-hmm. this. And then yeah. they had one episode to kind of set up next season. That would, mm-hmm. that would make sense. But with two episodes left, you got to have something bigger on deck, right? Yeah. Is exactly maybe Joe finds out he has AIDS, and now you've got two people in business Ooh. together who are both terminally ill. Well, and we still haven't confirmed nor denied Gordon's uh, ham radio. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and maybe. I really, honestly, do think that Joe's that the the jury is still out on Joe's HIV status. Oh, I just discovered why they did the ham radio stuff. Why? I just figured it out. You know uh-huh. he's going to use that to communicate with Cameron over in Japan, right? Does it work that way? Well, if it's shortwave, yeah. It could go to Japan? <laughs> yeah. Those things bounce around the globe, man. Huh. It's crazy. I, there, there's, yeah, he's definitely going to talk with Cameron over that thing. I am so excited to see 80s Tokyo. I'm a big fan of Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, I went to Japan for the first time this year on vacation. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. Blew my mother-loving mind. Uh-huh. Uh, Japan is like the greatest place of all time, so I am just really happy that Cameron's moving there. Yeah, it'll um, be interesting to see how much of that they show us. I really hope that they go all in, man. Like, Me too. If girls could spend an episode in Japan, I don't see why Halt and Catch Fire couldn't. Yeah. I know you're a big girls fan. Uh, I was for the first season and a half. Hmm. Well... They do a full episode in Japan this year. Okay. And it was good. <laughs> and it was good. The Shinkansen alone is mm. a huge upgrade from a lifestyle perspective. Anyway. That's that's the I'm high speed train, Cameron. is that right? Yeah, it's the bullet trains. Right. Um uh, I'm just really excited for Cameron and also like I feel like we're I feel like we're we're going a little too over all over the place. So I feel like we should take this character by character. Okay. Because I feel like we're getting a little spray and pray just because we're so excited about this episode. That's and fair. because the Tandy Shandy at this point is in full effect because <laughs> uh, it's so delicious. Like, I am literally drinking this as you should a Tandy Shandy. I'm taking like a sip of each. Oh, um, in, the, in your mouth at once? Both of them? I'm Well, not in my mouth at Chasers. once, but residual. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is this is what uh, this is what. Gordon intended, I think. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the Slayer is nine percent alcohol. So, oh wow, Not bad. doing it a- anyway. Which character would you like to start off with here? 
Uh, we're kind of talking about Donna. Do you want to say anything more about her, her plot this episode? Because hmm. that's essentially yeah. all she did, right? <laughs> yeah, she wasn't in the episode very much. Yeah. But this kind of further, um, kind of ver- further validates my feelings about Donna, my recent feelings about Donna. And it's always good to show a character's flaws. But the problem with Donna is I feel like at her heart, she's a good person, which kind of makes her uninteresting because she always kind of always ends up doing the right thing. Uh It's one of our hallmarks on the direct podcast. We talk about it all the time. Bad people are interesting. Mm -hmm. Look at every movie done by Quentin Tarantino. Look at every movie done by Edgar Wright or every movie done by David Fincher. Like, there's not a lot of good people in those movies. There's not a lot of hearts of gold. Um, so a character like Joe is a lot more interesting because he could go through a redemption cycle, but Donna's just going to be reverting to something that we all knew she was all along, which is, which is the good person. Right. So she, she needs a fall. She she needs a big fall so she can return to grace. Right. Yeah. But was this her fall? That's my question. Uh, it might've been, uh, the, the dispute with Cameron and, and ousting her from her own company might have been part of her fall. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just to me, um, I feel like sh- it's not big enough. If it is her fall, it's not big enough. Okay, that's fair. Um, and I don't know. It, it just it didn't seem that bad. Like, yeah, the stock opened at a bad price. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it closes at five dollars, or I guess they were they were saying it would open at fifteen. I'm not a huge stock head, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. We and we there is a scene here that we didn't talk about, but that's the scene at the very end of the grocery store, uh, right. which was another little twist because I kind of thought Cameron was like going to run. I thought she was like, "I'm going to go to the store," and then she was just never going to come back. Yeah, yeah, I was I was more thinking. You're gonna to go to the store in that that Swiss cheese shirt. Mm-hmm. Is that really what you're gonna wear out of the house? But she put a trench coat on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm with you. I also thought maybe there was a pretty high likelihood of her just bolting, which I don't know. Yeah. Is that would that have been interesting for Cameron? I feel like we've seen that so many times from Cameron it would not that it would be uninteresting. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have been interesting. It would have been interesting if she would have just gone and seen Joe. To talk to. Oh, yeah. I would not like that at all. Because Tom didn't do anything you to deserve that. No. No, no, no. Just go to talk. Just talk to Joe because so that they can process oh. Ryan's death together. Oh, okay. Sure. And maybe have that conversation that they are intrinsically linked, but they also can never be together. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something there. Yeah. Um, do they Do they actually leave for Japan at the end of this episode or are they still around the the uh indication that I got was like they had one foot out the door mm-hmm. they were all packed and, were, and everything yeah and they and like Cameron was like maybe they're they don't have things in Japan maybe I should go get some things before we leave so for right. me that's like saying we're leaving tomorrow let me go stock up on magazines or something okay um so, there so it probably won't be an opportunity to go speak yeah, to Joe. Yeah, I, th- I think that next week they'll be in Japan. Right. They should. 
they should be in Japan next week. Um, so I don't know if they're going to get that opportunity. I have a feeling Joe's probably going to fly to Japan because he's basically going to become um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character Jules at the end of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> he's going to roam the gonna earth. wander the earth. Okay. Yeah, like Kato. Mm-hmm. All right. He's, he's just going to be Kato. At this, I mean, what else is he going to do? He's got nothing else to do. I don't think he has any money, right? I mean, does he I, have? I, any I don't know. Money? He owns that apartment, probably. He and he has still has half the stake in NSFNet, or forty nine percent of the stake. Yeah, which I he guess could he does potentially cash out, but that would just crash NSFNet if he did that, <laughs> right? He has that Jeep. He could sell uh, that. Yeah, uh, maybe Ryan listed him on his life insurance, but that oh. usually doesn't kick in in this in the event of suicide. So, mm. yeah, <laughs> There's... I think it does. You just have a waiting period. Oh, really? Yeah, really is the waiting period insurance. four months? <laughs> I don't know. So that's I mean that's the question because like Joe at this point, let's talk about Joe. Okay. Uh, I I did think it was so interesting, kind of all the Halloween symbolism that revolved around Joe on this episode. So, like, Cameron goes and finds the hornet's nest, uh, and then she sprays it down. And then the next scene at the house, Joe shows up. Um, And, you know, the episode is called You Are Not Safe. She's watching Evil Dead during that time. There's, like, people's faces melting and zombies (laughs) popping out of people's chests. Yep. Um, and it's Halloween. It's, you know, it's, it's the spooky time of year. It's, it's literally, uh, October 31st when Joe shows up at her door. And then at the end of this, when Joe is sitting at the table, talking to Gordon, reading the suicide note, that was actually the scene to me that was the most emotional scene. Cause you got to see Joe being as real as he's ever been in the entire show. Yeah. In that scene. When he looks at Gordon and he says, Gordon, I'm sorry. The way that Lee Pace delivers that line is different than any line that he's spoken on this show in three seasons. He is genuine. He's a genuine human being at that point. And it's so interesting because the scene before that, when he's talking to Ryan, when Ryan is still alive, Ryan tells him, hey, man. I did the classic Joe McMillan move. Like you know that you you know that move better than anybody, and I pulled it off. Uh, I pulled off that classic Joe McMillan move, and Joe says to him, "I can't work with Joe McMillan mm-hmm. anymore." He's like, "I cannot be Joe McMillan." He has basically shed the shell of Joe McMillan, and that is the baggage. That's um, his mom being sent to a mental institution. It's it's all the baggage that he had with his father. It's the baggage from his time at IBM. It's all of the, the the calamitous events that he left in his wake of flooding the server room and setting the cam- uh, setting the truck on fire and the uh, you know the, sh- the his marriage that fell apart and Westnet and uh, McMillan Utilities falling apart and everything in his life falling apart and basically him looking back and retrospectively saying. I cannot be this person anymore. I just can't do yeah, it. Yeah, and and taking that responsibility is amazing. for it, most importantly, right? Because I don't think the old yes. Joe would ever take responsibility for those things. Uh, mm-hmm. And and now he's, you know, by saying, I can't work with Joe McMillan anymore, he's essentially saying, I have caused all these problems. 
and and this is the thing yeah. that I cannot I can no longer do in my life. I can't be that person anymore. Uh so it's it's and super important it's, for it's him. It's really It's so beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's like uh and it's a type of character growth that I have not seen on a TV show in a very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, even a guy like Don Draper, and I'm not going to spoil anything here, but he doesn't really have that moment in some ways. Yeah. He doesn't have the moment where he's like, everything is, everything that went wrong in my life is my fault. I mean, maybe he did in in a quieter way, but there's just that thing of Joe as representing this kind of paradigm of success, of American success, of stick to itiveness, of innovation, of being there first of selling yourself, of being the envy of everybody, walking into the room and owning it, being the all-American dream dude, and then realizing that that is the source of all of his pain mm-hmm. and and has caused irreparable pain to other people. That scene with him and Gordon at the table is so crazily interesting to me, and it, it, it validates... A lot of the season, it validates a lot of the yeah. show, and it's really impactful to me. I mean, this, that's why this this, no, this I, I, episode really I resonates. agree. I think it validates, honestly, this episode, um, the growth we see from Joe, I think validates every bit of Joe we've seen in the previous seasons. I don't think right. a man like that is brought to this state without everything that Joe has been through. Uh, and it, yeah. it just wouldn't it wouldn't connect. It wouldn't ring true without all of the history that Joe has in the show. So yeah, I'm with you, man. This yeah. is one of the best moments of the series. Definitely. It's crazy. Cause this, sh- this show has been following Joe McMillan from the very beginning. We open up the series with him running over an armadillo in Austin, <laughs> Texas to go pluck Cameron out of a classroom at uh-huh. UT. Uh, you know, stepping out of his Porsche and taking off his glasses and his designer mm-hmm. suit. You know, uh, it's that that growth from Joe is really interesting, and that's why at this point I'm like, Joe's going to be a drifter. Joe's going to go off and be a nomad and <laughs> roam the earth because he cannot be this person anymore. So. What happens with Joe? Does he become a surf bum? Does he go to Mexico? Does he buy a VW Bug? And... I don't know, man. I mean, Joe's so lost. Yeah. He could he could really go any direction here other than the one he's mm-hmm. gone before, which is to, to try yeah. to get back into business with some idea, uh, scam somebody into giving him power and authority. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the one thing I know he's not going to do. As far as what he is going to do, who knows? I mean, he might go up on that bridge and jump himself. I don't know. I mean, there was a, you're totally right. I think that we're totally overlooking (laughs) maybe some poignance of that last scene of Joe, of course, going to that first spot that he and Ryan met. Mm -hmm. It happens to be right beneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Um, And to me, it made me think back to all of the times this season where we've seen people standing in front of Florida ceiling glass windows on the 29th floor of a skyscraper in downtown San Francisco. And that, that is the, you know, um, that's the, the medium by which Ryan ended his Mm -hmm. life is, is being that high up. 
uh, and uh, and being at least close to that pinnacle of perceived success in Silicon Valley. Yeah, and it's interesting too because didn't we kind of think Joe? Remember when he got the phone call uh, from the doctor and we weren't sure if he mm-hmm. was positive mm-hmm. or negative, and he goes out on that balcony, and you're kind of wondering, is he going to jump? What's going to happen here? Yeah. Uh, that kind of you know it reminded me of that moment when I saw the door open. Yeah. And it was interesting, too, in this episode when Gordon tells him that he's sick mm-hmm. and Joe's, like, very adamant to, hey, Gordon, you cannot leave until you tell me what you mean by that. Um, I don't know. I think there could still be – they've left the door open that Joe could still be HIV positive. So I, y- right. it might be too tinfoil for you, but I, I just kind of think it's open. It's still open. Sure. Uh I guess. I mean, I I don't know. I might be a little disappointed if... I, I, the way that they did that reveal was just so weird that I almost feel like I yeah. could give them a do-over on that. <laughs> like, have another scare mm-hmm. that's maybe done a little bit better. Uh, but it would be strange to have both of these guys terminally ill, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with Gordon. He has CTE. CTE is not necessarily a death right. sentence. Um, and that's kind of the funny thing to me about Gordon and his perception of CTE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a debilitating brain disease. Yes, it leads to death, uh, and many times death by suicide, especially with ex NFL players. Um, most notably Junior Seau, uh, who took his own life uh, and shot himself in the chest so that they could study his brain. Mm. Um, so it's a debilitating disease over time, but he's got a support system and he's got years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's going to happen tomorrow. Not to mention every prognosis that we've gotten from doctors is that it's either slowed down or stopped. Mm-hmm. So right. this whole I'm sick thing is kind of interesting to me with Gordon because it's like, how sick are you <laughs> really? I think like, he... we know that most of your symptoms are psychological. So yeah, he must have backed off the Tandy Shandies. He must have really just cooled oh. it, and, and it's helping. Well, his brain. you know, that's a, that's a possibility. But I do <laughs> love it, man. Because going back to this scene with Joe, it was just like I wrote down in my notes. I wrote down "Ripple of Go," rip, "Ripple of Go." <laughs> Tandy Shandy is working. <laughs> "Ripple of Joe." Uh-huh. It's a hard J. Go. Um but I was like, yeah, like there's this ghost of Joe McMillan that even if Joe changes, his ghost still follows him around and still influences people. Mm-hmm. Ryan was trying to live up to the ghost of Joe McMillan, and that's why he did this. That's why he released the code, and then it it ultimately destroyed him because he got way too paranoid about what was happening, and his world crumbled around him. Um, So there's this ghost of Joe and there's Joe's inner demons and there's skeletons in his closet. And I was like, ghosts, demons and skeletons, Halloween, symbolism (laughs) and so forth. And that's why this episode is amazing. All right. Uh, What about Cameron? We talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about her, but I feel like there's some more to discuss here because, you know, she she before they decide they're moving to japan she shows tom this game that she's making right yeah uh which i feel represents her uh her innards what she's thinking how she Mm -hmm. feels about herself after the whole mutiny thing uh where basically she's she's constructing a game based on the five 
senses, as she calls them. The the first one yeah. being proportion, which allows you to change your size. Then humor, which you can fend off attacks. Um, self, which is invisibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, sense of decency, which I don't remember what that one was. Because <laughs> so it didn't give you any powers. It actually doesn't do anything. It doesn't give you any powers, but it unlocks right. the ultimate sense, which is common which sense. Which allows you to see everything more clearly. So I, I feel like a lot yeah. of this stuff relates directly to how Cameron is feeling after the mutiny issue. Yeah, I actually, as somebody who's working on a game myself right now, I thought that it was really cool. Yeah, no, it's kind of neat. <laughs> like, just to have, just from a game design perspective, mm-hmm. to have a game where you have five senses, and one of them is obviously better than any of the other ones, and that's common mm-hmm. sense, but three thing, three of the senses allow give you a special ability while as the other sense unlocks the greatest sense. I was like, actually, from a game design perspective, that's really interesting. Now, this game that she made, you're basically just cruising. (laughs) uh, You're you're easy riding the solar system. Right. So there's any competitive balance to it. But I did think, I was like, from a game design perspective, that's really interesting. So first of all, aside from all of the metaphor Mm -hmm. of her growing as a human being... Super happy to see her working on games again. Right. Like, in some ways, it was a travesty to be watching a, uh, you know, a, a, a news show where Don is talking about mutiny and it's being sold as a online commerce store. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not mutiny, man. That's not what <laughs> mutiny was about. Um. You know, and it, so I really just loved to see her playing games again. And then, yes, all of these kind of this self awareness that she now has. Now that she's been through some shit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's one thing about having shit in your life is that it really does help you gain perspective, and it in some ways makes you stronger. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, I- and it's the type of thing if you got to celebrate that those shitty times sometimes because it helps you become a better person which is really hard to do when everything is great it's really hard to become a better person <laughs> that's true because you're sipping tandy shandies all day you're sitting on your ass you're playing xbox you're you're chilling you're everything's gravy uh, there's not a lot of personal growth happening not a lot of reason for introspection or yeah. reflecting on your actions right and not and there's no wisdom gained yeah. Right? I mean, wisdom is in many ways born through adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have to get into it, but that's one of the reasons why I admire one of very, one of the one of the many reasons why I admire you and Aaron so much is like your whole history with like uh, <laughs> with you, you know the you, your religious upbringing and all that, and 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 the way that that shaped the people you are today. Sure. And if anybody wants to know about that, there's plenty of stuff on that on baldboob.com. So, um, oh yeah. But you think there's you guys... anything to to this uh, this character who looks? I gotta say, a lot like Samus, uh, uh. <laughs> riding around on essentially a space motorcycle. Mm-hmm. We know her. We know that her father's mm. bike just got, you know, taken from under her nose there, and I, I didn't quite get what or why that was happening yeah. uh, when it was happening. But I don't know. It seems to have affected her in at least at a subconscious level. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of. I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to characterize it this way because it does come across as pretty sexist. 
but it's the idea of the daddy issues, right? Um, sure. Kind of, you know, her dad died at a very young age in Vietnam. When, mm-hmm. I mean, when she was a young, when she was a young child, uh, her dad died in Vietnam. Her relationship with Joe in season one is very much that kind of domineering male patriarchal. You're going to do this. I'm going to lock you in this room until you write this code. I'm going to mentally mm-hmm. screw you up. Like, you know, this very domineering Joe in season one. Um, and then her relationship with Boz, which falls apart um, because, you know, and he has that confession to her where he says, you know, you, I may not be your father, but you'll never stop being my daughter. And so <laughs> liberating herself from those that that need or want for a patriarch in her life that might be personified through this motorcycle that now she has control of the motorcycle and she's taking it where she wants to go. Right. And she has Tom who is none of those things. He is not there to play the dad. He's <laughs> yeah. there to play the companion. Mm-hmm. He's ready player two. Yeah. I'm liking Tom more and more every day. I got to say he's not, he's not doing a lot. He doesn't have a lot that he really needs to do other than just kind of be there and supportive yeah. of Cameron and, I don't know. It, it feels like a pretty, like his side of the relationship is pretty solid. I just, I'm not totally sure about Cameron yet. I'm more sure about her now than I've ever been. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. But still not a hundred percent on that. Right. Because she's Cameron. Uh huh. And it's one of the amazing things about this show is that it has allowed people to grow and the last holdout, maybe it might be Cameron. Um, although I really feel like she has entered this kind of sensei mode <laughs> in this episode. Uh, she is more introspective. Um, I love the scene at the end where she's at the store and she gets to say goodbye to Donna and the kids. Oh, because right. That relationship with. Uh, with those girls, with Donna and Gordon's children, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like is really sweet, and it was kind of her way to connect to her childhood. I, I'm pretty sure she's an only child, um, so in some ways they were almost. It almost allowed her to assume a big sister role and be a part of a family. That's probably why she lived in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of outstayed her welcome there. <laughs> she stayed there way too long. She definitely did. Uh, one of the yeah. things about that scene that I was wondering, they, they kind of go through this episode showing close-ups of Joni and, and Joni not wanting to talk to her mom and uh, just kind of blowing her off. And I was trying to figure out exactly why. I didn't know if I maybe forgot something that Donna did to the kids. Hmm. Um, I, I really thought, you know, back back in the day that they disliked Gordon, obviously, because he lied about uh, the shit that happened over at his brother's house. Right. But I didn't remember anything about Donna, and then I started wondering: Do they? Does she maybe blame her mom for Cameron leaving? Because we know we saw mm. them forming a relationship, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering if there's some, some not even misplaced. If there's just some bad blood there because mm. she understands kind of what what went on. I I take it a little more innocent than that. I understand that perspective for sure. But mm-hmm. she's also, they mentioned she's just on the verge of being a teenager. Which okay. Is, <laughs> she's just a point in time. Hormonal and moody. Yeah. and Yeah. It's a point in time when you hate your parents. Sure. All the, t- all the time. We all went through it. 
Yeah, man, it it kind of blows my mind how how often I told my parents I hated them. Like, are you like that must have been <laughs> fucking stupid? Like, I don't know how I would. I'm sure that I'll find out at some point in my life, but like, I can't imagine having your kid. Like, you could take that two ways. Like, you could either take it to heart and be like, "Oh my god, my child hates me," <laughs> but I think that the 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 tack that most parents take is like, "Oh my god, you're such a goofball." You're such I, a, I would hope so. You're such a little goofball. Like you, a you don't hate me because I'm your only source of survival. <laughs> and B, I've been there too, man. You're just being right. You're just you're just a big ball of, of hormones, and and that's the key, you know. If yeah. if, if, if you know, uh, if you have a teenager someday, it's definitely going to be a thing where you're like, well. This is happening. <laughs> it's got to be like five more years, man. Yep. Five more years. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so maybe that's it. Maybe Joni's just growing up. I think Joni's just growing up. I did love that uh, That Gordon said that she was going as John Montana. <laughs> right. And that shows either a couple things. A, the CTE is getting to Gordon, and he doesn't. Have, he's losing memory, or he just does not follow football and does not know who Joe Montana is. Does he say John? I see. I thought he said Joan. Which I thought he said Joan too, because she is wearing a pink jersey, right? And her name's Joni, right? So right. Which might it's just it's the way that Scoot delivered the line. <laughs> Scoot. Speaking of funny names, Scoot McNary. I'm sorry, Mr. McNary. I just, I cannot not laugh at your first name. <laughs> Old Scoot. I mean, at least go by Scooter, right? Right. Um, just something to just not end it on Scoot. <laughs> yeah, but the way that he delivered that line was, it sounded like John Montana, which made me think that he doesn't know who Joe Montana is. That could but also you, be true. She was wearing a pink jersey, so maybe it was the female version. But it, I love those little cultural things that are thrown in because, yeah, John Joe Montana was super huge in 1986 in San Francisco. Yep. Um, and he's so. he's dressed as Han Solo, right? Yeah. Okay. Although, he, what was the deal with that vest? That's just, I think, the vest he wears, man. That's a Han Solo kinda, vest. Well, it, it like had it open back. It was almost like a gun-like oh. vest thing. Or whatever you call those. Shoulder holster? Uh-huh. I don't know what they're called. Maybe that was all he had on hand. Yeah. Uh, he, d- he dug through his vest closet, and that was the guess- closest one. <laughs> I'm guessing it might have been Donna's vest. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Who knows? Um, yeah. I mean, there, I, I feel like Cameron's been through a lot of growth. I was really really appreciative of her, appreciative in her, of her in this episode. Because I was so disparaging, like, three episodes ago, I was like, what are they doing with her character? Like, she's just an immature person still, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. you know. I mean, she needed to have her Joe moment. She needed to have the moment where everything crumbled around her. Mm. Uh, she was left with nothing other than, you know, money, which yeah. is is probably not satisfying to a person like her. Um, exactly. She, she, she needed that to moment back. to really be yeah. deconstructed and try and rebuild herself. Yeah, she was able to go back and do what she loves, which is making games. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I thought, I actually thought that was really beautiful that she sat down and she made this game that was like about personal growth, right? Uh, 
And, I, did, you know, I, going I found to it really Japan great. could be a good thing for her, especially at this yeah. time. It's what, 1986? 1986, That's baby. That's like right after the NES is released, like a year. Exactly. Yes. In the and U.S. anyway. And she's already made an NES title, because didn't they sell the first-person shooter they made to an NES cartridge shop? Oh. Uh, I think that maybe? was the case. I believe that was the case. They sold it to like a third-party... A publisher who was making NES cartridges. Hmm. Um, and yeah, the SNES is right around the corner. So, oh yeah, some exciting stuff there in Japan. I'm, I am, I really hope that we get to go to 1986 Japan, or 1987 Japan at this point. Yeah, I think Me that's going to be really cool. And yeah, and we see it too. Like when she goes and she sees Ryan at the university, she's like. You can't live on Dr. Pepper and Cheez-Its. I've tried. <laughs> like That's true. She, that is personal growth. That's personal mm-hmm. growth from from Cam. And we have to also have to remember, how old is Cameron? Like Not that old. To, yeah. If you had to put a, put your finger on it, like er, tops early 20s. 20, yeah, I'm thinking tops 26. Mm, I'd probably go younger than that. Tops like 24. Yeah, depending on... She didn't graduate, did she? She dropped out. Yeah. Yeah, so I think you're right. I think, like, top's 24. I think she's probably 24. Mm-hmm. So she's still got a lot of room to grow, and I'm excited to see her on that path. All right, let's 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 talk about Ryan here, because this is the last time we'll have an opportunity to talk about <laughs> Ryan as a character. Uh-huh. Um, tragic. Really it tragic. Is. when. When you get when you look back at episode one, when he's standing in in Donna and Cameron's office, whiteboarding his ideas, and they're writing him off, and that was our introduction to this guy, and I mean, just the just Joe looking out his looking out his apartment window, and or looking looking out at the the door, the open door at the apartment, and it's like holy shit. Like, he fucking killed himself. He yeah. threw himself off a building. It he was... painted himself into a corner, and he couldn't get out of it, and he didn't want to go to jail for two years, and he didn't want to not be able to touch a computer, and he called it. He called it, man. Yeah. It's it's weird because, I, like, on one hand, I feel like he is trying to emulate Joe, and he knows that mm-hmm. Joe can reinvent himself when he needs to, right? Mm-hmm. But... It, it didn't seem like Ryan was able or willing to do that because, you know, when it hit the fan and he would have had to reinvent himself as someone who doesn't use computers uh, yeah. for five years, then he he wasn't willing or 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 yeah. he didn't think he could do it. Uh, so he, he couldn't quite live up to being Joe. And, you know, mm-hmm. not even Joe, I guess, can live up to being Joe. Right. I mean, with Joe... Joe is the idea guy. Mm-hmm. Being the idea guy is, in some ways, really difficult because you have to come up with really good ideas. But in other ways, it's easy mm-hmm. because you can walk away and you still have another idea. You have the next idea on the horizon. Yeah. Um, and it's something I suffer from a lot. Like, I feel like I have a lot of ideas and I have a hard time coming to fruition with them because and then I just move on to the next idea. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, execution is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a saying that 90% of doing stuff is doing stuff. <laughs> That's uh, pretty good. And it's, 
and that getting to that phase where actually doing stuff is very difficult. It's difficult to get over that hump because then you have to deal with things like failure. You have to deal with things like adversity. You have to deal with things like, um, like pain. And, mm-hmm. and Joe even talks about it. I think it was two episodes ago when him and Ryan are setting up the server room. He's like, think about it now. Cause right now it's perfect. Cause right now it's just an idea. Yeah. Uh, and so, that kind of paints that picture of Joe. He's the idea guy. He can walk from thing to thing. Ryan, on the other hand, is not an idea guy. He's a doer. Mm-hmm. He's got a craft that he's extremely proficient in, and that craft is computers. Um, you know, yeah, as Donald yeah. Trump would say, it's cyber. He's got the <laughs> cyber down, my friend. Uh, yeah, and I feel like without it, he doesn't <laughs> know who he is, right? Exactly. And so when you say to him, you can't touch a computer for five years, that's him losing his identity. And he can't reinvent mm-hmm. himself out of that. He's not an idea guy. He is tied to this machine and this process and yeah. this methodology. And he can't find his way out of that. Um, so he, he commits suicide. And... You know, suicide has been covered on other shows, but I feel like in this one it is really it's interesting because um, uh, uh, God, what's his name? Who's the guy who wrote Infinite Jest? Um, anyway, the guy who wrote Infinite Jest <laughs> killed himself. Uh, he did. Um, uh, okay. David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace. Uh, he committed suicide, but before he committed suicide, you could kind of tell that he um, had been contemplating it uh, for, for for quite a while of, of just having that option open um, because he had said that, like, you know, committing suicide is like jumping out of a burning building. Like, it's funny when people try to blame people for committing suicide, for taking the easy way out or something like that. Um, right. You know, when you jump out of the World Trade Center because it's burning up behind you and you're on fire, you're basically choosing your demise. And mm-hmm. that's kind of from what I understand and from what depression is, that's what uh, that's what suicide is. It's kind of that last resort. There's no way out. And so you have to take that last resort. Um, and right. so I feel like it was characterized really eloquently in this show because – First of all, you could tell that Ryan was depressed. He was super paranoid. Um, and then when he saw that there was no way out, he basically took that that option of jumping out of the burning building as opposed to burning to death. Um, so I feel like his suicide was very eloquently um, addressed in this show. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Um, and, and I thought it was, you know, well well filmed or, or well put to film, I mm-hmm, guess, um, mm-hmm. in that it, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was kind of overwrought. Um, yeah. It, it felt like it was a thing that happened almost to you. Um, like, yeah, you were standing there watching, like piecing it together. Oh my God, the doors open. Oh my God, the blankets are folded. Uh, you, you kind of discovered it with Joe. And I, I think that was super important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and it was i feel like this episode was really expertly directed yeah uh and i'll find the director here so we can give him a shout out um but it was like that moment is so well done <laughs> like yeah cuz we see we get it revealed to us at the same time it's a great twist cuz it's the fbi showing up at his door 
Hey, was Ryan here last night? Yes, he was, but he's gone now. Sorry, I, I was going to say it comes at a time where we've seen Joe be honest, right? So right. we don't doubt that he cares about this. We don't doubt that he cared for Ryan, that this will affect him emotionally. You, you don't like if this was two seasons ago, Joe McMillan, I would be questioning whether he actually cared or not. Right. Uh, but it comes on the back of, you know, what is a huge change for Joe himself. Uh, and I, I think that just compounds it to me. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really interesting, actually. So this episode was directed by uh, Reed Morano, um, who was the cinematographer on this movie called The Skeleton Twins. And I, th- I think it's still on Netflix, uh, but it stars um, Bill Hader and uh, Kristen Wiig. And Bill Hader mm-hmm. plays a character who tried to kill himself. That's kind of like the premise of the movie. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I would say, man, like I feel like this episode was so well directed and yeah. this is actually his only his fifth, uh, or this would be his one, two, three, four, five, fifth. Yeah. His fifth, um, directorial effort. So hmm. I was kind of blown away with the, with the directing of this episode. It was, it was really, really good. Like that scene where Joe realizes that Ryan has committed suicide, and we can all pe- we all piece it together. Together, yeah, is is pretty amazing. Yeah, there's just a, so, a couple of technical things that I wanted to talk yeah. about real quick uh-huh. if we're if we're mm-hmm. approaching the end here. Um, mm-hmm. They bust out this packet sniffer to try and catch mm-hmm. Ryan mm-hmm. Uh, to, f- to figure out what he's done and if he actually leaked the code. Now, I don't, as far as I know, packet sniffers do not work that way. Um, okay. <laughs> in order for them to catch Ryan, uh, to, to pin this on Ryan, they would have had to catch him in the act with a packet sniffer and see mm. the data that he was transferring. Because once it's out there, packet sniffer does you no good. Because what a packet sniffer does is monitors active traffic on a network. Oh. So pl- as far as I know, and I here's the thing. I don't understand how Ryan could not know this. Um, uh-huh. although maybe it's just a thing where at the time packet sniffers were brand new technology that only the government had, um, yeah. or, or had really implemented to any degree. And he just, it was too early for him to know about it, but that struck me as odd. Um, it's the, a convenient, it's a, it's a, you know, this is magic wave of the hand, technical magic. I, as me as a viewer and no idea. All I know is they plugged in the thing, <laughs> right. the thing, and they found out, you know? Yeah. So I don't As know. As a storytelling I, device, I think it's fine. I suppose. I'm coming off the back of Mr. Robot, though, where everything uh, is so technically accurate <laughs> that it's maddening. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that that threw me. Um, but then I, I really like Brian's sort of prescient speech, his prescient plea to the people of the internet at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because right now we're struggling with all those issues. Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, it really applies today more than oh, ever. yeah. He's talking yes. to the people who are destructive on the internet right now. Yeah. And and I'm trying to it's he wants it to be a better place and he wants it to be the awesome thing that he sees it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm just wondering if we ever get to that point where Ryan we get to Ryan's uh Nirvana. Yeah, essentially where where the internet is not a place that's destructive that it's that Mm. creates more good than bad and i i don't know how well we're doing with that i'd say maybe it's 60 40 as far as good and bad right now 
I would say it's a lot more good than than is probably perceived. Yeah, uh, probably just right, because but... the bad stuff is so pronounced. Yeah. Um. Uh, can I just read his note? Because I'd like to just read it and kind of talk through it. Sure. Yeah. So he says, uh, I went to reddit.com slash r slash halt and catch fire. Because I was like, it's probably there. And yep, it is. Uh, so it says, I, Ryan Ray, released the McMillan Utility Source Code. I acted alone. No one helped me and no one told me to do it. I did this because security is a myth. Contrary to what you might have heard, my friends, you are not safe. Safety is a story. It's something we teach our children so they can sleep at night. But we know it's not real. Beware baffled humans. Beware of false prophets who will sell you fake fur- who will sell you a fake future, of bad teachers, corrupt leaders, and dirty corporations. Beware of cops and robbers, the kind that rob your dreams. But most of all, beware of each other because everything's about to change. So up to that point, I really don't think that it's like about the internet necessarily. Right. I feel like he's talking about fake future, bad teacher, corrupt leader, dirty corporations, cops and robbers, robbers that r- rob your dreams. That's him talking about his dreams being robbed, mm-hmm. um, that he doesn't see a future for himself anymore. But then this is where it talk- starts talking about the Internet. The world is going to crack wide open. There's something on the horizon, a massive connectivity. The barriers between us will disappear, and we're not ready We'll hurt each other in new ways. We'll sell and be sold. We'll expose our most tender selves only to be mocked and destroyed. We'll be so vulnerable We'll pay, and we'll pay the price. We, don't, we won't be able to pretend that we can protect ourselves anymore. It's a huge danger, a gigantic risk, but it's worth it. If only we can learn to take care of each other, then this awesome, destructive new connection won't isolate us. It won't leave us in the end so totally alone. Um, it's interesting. It's really interesting. I mean, it talks to everything from cyber warfare to, uh, to cyber bullying, <laughs> you know? Right. And, um, and the monitoring of, of people on the mm-hmm. internet and yep. I mean, all of it. Yeah. I mean, as humans, we're like biologically, uh, so programmed to, get information that the internet is something that is so addictive to us. It's kind of like the most addictive thing that's ever been <laughs> created. Yeah. Basically. I agree with that. Um, because everybody is genetically disposed to learn. Like we have to keep learning. It's like our brains are just are made to learn. And that's what has made us the dominant species on the earth is that we just continually learn and mm-hmm. so there's this never-ending resource of experiences and learning and data and interaction and everything that as humans we've been you know biologically predisposed to do um and the thing about it you were talking about it you think it when you were saying 60 40 what was your what was your gauge there is it 60 good 40 bad yeah 60 good okay I I mean, <laughs> it's, hard, it's, hard, it's, it's nothing to disagree with, though, because there is a lot of shit. There is, like, yeah. The, the internet is, found, the foundation of the internet is six feet of shit. <laughs> it's, it's, you're neck deep in shit. Yeah. Um, we were talking about it today because I was having trouble with Skype. It was like, dude, like, really? 
Like, I bought this computer, I built it with my bare hands, and now Windows 10 has complete control over it. Fuck that shit. <laughs> like, even that is bullshit, right? Sure. Um, so, it is. It's There's a lot of shit, but there's so much good, man. You look at all of, like, the Kickstarter projects that have, like, realized right. people's dreams. You look at, like, the Ice Bucket Challenge, which was a stupid fucking thing and annoyed <laughs> us all. But at the same time, they actually found a goddamn gene to help fight ALS because of the Ice Bucket Challenge. Right. Like, um, yeah, you know, I, I guess. I mean, there is the, a lot of the, good. I don't, I don't want to yeah. shit on the internet too much. But, you know, there with the good comes the bad in a lot of ways. Like, sure, you get yeah. the Ice Bucket Challenge and that gets passed around virally and, and mm-hmm. everybody does it and you get these great discoveries. But then also you have those same mediums, those same platforms, Facebook, Twitter, like all these things kind of separating us more than ever. Right. Absolutely. In some ways they connect us, but in some ways they divide us more than ever. And it's, yeah, it, that is one of the things that Ryan is certainly talking about here with saying, we are not ready. Um, we just don't have the communication skills in a lot of instances to, to deal with this, this just fountain, this fire hose of communication. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you used to be able to be an undecided voter. Uh-huh. Like, you used to be able to be a person who could vote Republican or Democrat in a presidential election and make up your mind based on the candidates. Mm-hmm. Now you are, if you're on one of those sides, you are entrenched in a dogma, and the only news that you consume is based on that ideology. And right. the only people that you associate with online are also entrenched in that ideology. It becomes so niche that you isolate yourself from the other side, and then mm-hmm. it's really easy to paint them as a villain. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, they're them, and you're you, and nobody wants to talk about them. No, er, They are all the problem. Mm-hmm. You're not the problem. They're the problem, right? <laughs> of course. They are always the problem. They are, man, right? <laughs> they? Um, yeah. So it, it, you're completely right. It has isolated us in ways that are pretty destructive. And like I said, we don't need to get political, but like there's a lot of people who are pissed off about this presidential election on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is kind of the output of us living on the internet at this point. I feel like that's at least a contributing factor. Certainly. Yeah. Dude, this just became an episode of personal arrogance, by the way. <laughs> just <laughs> Did it? Is that what you guys talked about all the time? I listen no, to all but, those. I don't. I don't remember that much about this. I, it's not now we're, now. we're not talking about the show anymore. We're just talking about society and that's true. Digital, yeah. digital nature and the internet and niche uh, shit. And we're having a tandy stuff. shandy moment, dude. Uh, <laughs> we gotta fucking have a fucking tandy shandy sound off at Bypacks. Anyway, I'm going to Cincinnati to hang out with Jim in, in a week, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I think me too. I think it's time to put a pin in this. What do you say, Jimbo? Sounds good. So this is the exciting thing, my friends, is that next week I get to go hang out with Jim in Cincinnati. And if you are, uh, we don't ever pimp Bald Move on this podcast, but if you are a part of Bald Move, you might even be able to see me interact with the Aaron and Jim show a little bit. Right. We're going to so, be doing a special, a very special lunch with Eric. Yeah. This Friday or possibly. next Friday. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, see, that's not a teaser, dude. You got to say like, maybe <laughs> you'll see us somewhere. And, and he may or may not be wearing <laughs> pants. How about that? There you go. That's a <laughs> teaser, my friend. That's a teaser. Okay. 
So uh, please keep in touch. Uh, forums.baldmove.com and mutiny at baldmove.com. Is that right? Yeah, mutiny that's at it. Okay. Mutiny at baldmove.com. And until next week, let's see how they top it next week, folks. We'll see you back here. I'm Eric. And I'm Jim. Log out.